It seems like Toronto now has something in common with Venice, Italy. After that major storm, people have spotted raw sewage. Yes, number twos in our harbor. Joining us on the line right now, Mark Matson. He is the president of Swim, Drink, Fish and Ontario Water Keepers. And um, Mark, I want to know, first of all, if you could get us up to speed, what is the water quality in the Toronto Harbor like on a normal basis? And compare that to the levels of E. coli that you guys found after this storm. When there isn't rain, um, as I say in Swim Guide, we post the results. Um, you know, Reese's Slip, Bathurst Key, Marina 4. We're sampling down there Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I'd say more than 50% of the time, the water passes the recreational water um, standard. So in other words, it's clean enough for you could, you're not allowed to swim in that water for a bunch of other reasons, but um, it's clean enough to swim in. Um, the other 50% of the time at most of these places, either because of rain or because of other accidents or, um, you know, spills, it's, um, you know, maybe five times, 10 times of what, what it would be required to, to pass. So yesterday, um, it's a hundred colony forming units per hundred milliliter of E. coli. That's where it it passes and it's safe enough for recreation. And we're getting above 24,000. CFUs per 100 milliliters. So, you know, you're talking 240 times what's safe um, or what would pass for recreational water. So the city does some testing and what they do is they test bacterial levels at designated beaches each and every day during the summer, but they don't do anything to monitor the bacterial levels along the waterfront downtown. It seems a bit absurd to me because there's so many communities now being built and focused on this waterfront, not just the beaches in Toronto. Kelly, I I totally agree. I mean, it's Clearly, you know, people's dreams about a clean waterfront are crashing with past mistakes about, um, you know, where the city thinks people should be recreating. We're now recreating all over our waterfronts, and yet the city is still only sampling, and they do a really great job. On the Great Lakes, they'd be the best um, daily samplers of the 11 beaches, and they sample there, and they publish those results, and, you know, we... They, it's open access, so the data is shared with everyone, and it's great. But everywhere else, there's no sampling. And that's why, you know, Lake Ontario Waterkeeper, we really felt, since we're a proponent of getting people out on the water, um, stand-up paddle boards, you know, there's the divers, there's the surfers, there's the canoeists, there's the kayakers. We're a real proponent of getting people out on the water because that starts their journey, and they fall in love with the water, and they become a voice for protecting it. Um and we just felt that we couldn't sit around and just, um, you know, have that ignorance about the water quality in the harbor. So we started sampling it. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we allow anyone to come out with us who wants to learn how to sample. It's not that difficult to do your own sampling. It's not that expensive. And so they might want to publish those results somewhere else in Toronto on one of the rivers, for example, or they might want to do it at their cottage and understand what the um, bacteria is in their water. So it's a real great chance for us to build water literacy, but also give the information to the public who's using the Toronto Harbor. I think the city should be doing it. Um, I'm really hopeful they will. Kingston started doing it, you know, eight, nine years ago and started publishing the results. And Kingston now has a downtown urban pier, the Gord Edgar Downey Pier, named after Gord. And it was one of the... You know, he wanted his name attached to that pier. It's a beautiful urban beach with deep water swimming. Um, it's got, you know, um, real-time monitoring of its pipes and sewers, and um, and it, the, the community's engaged, and it's really clean water. It hasn't closed yet this summer, and I'm just so proud of it. And I think Toronto 
if um, it, it went the same route as Kingston did and was a little more transparent about these issues, the public would get behind it and we'd have more swimming places in the harbor. You know, I grew up for a little bit of my uh, childhood in Kingston, and we've always been swimming around Kingston. When I mm-hmm. we moved back to the Toronto area, I remember my parents saying, oh, God, no, don't go in that. The Toronto. <laughs> it's the Toronto harbor front. Do we have to stop being so complacent? and change our attitudes about the fact that, yeah, we've got a waterfront off a big city, but it can be swimmable. It can be a waterfront that you can enjoy. Yeah, you just hit the nail on the head. It's up to, it, it, it'll only change is when the people demand it. When we want it to change, it's just a plumbing problem. Remember, like the engineers, they know how to fix these things. Um, it is a plumbing problem. If, if, we, um, if the citizens demand it and they want a swimmable, drinkable, fishable Lake Ontario, um, we just need the leaders with the imagination to get us there. And I think it is time now. I don't think we can wait another 25 or 50 years. I mean, Toronto, we know what's happening elsewhere in the Great Lakes, and we just can't keep doing making the mistakes we've made for the past 50 years. We have to change it. And, of course, we get the benefits of that, which is living beside an incredible freshwater uh, paradise, really. When you talk about the it's just a plumbing problem, I assume that you've talked to experts on this. How expensive of a fix is it? Well, that, that's that's the question. It depends how you do it um, and where you do it. It, it, it. Kingston, I recall in the last 10 years, I think they spent $100 million. They've invested in capital in their sewage treatment plant and in separating the sewage from the, from the rainwater. Um, I don't know what it would cost in downtown Toronto. I mean, it's an older city. It's a bigger city. We just put all those condos right on top of um, what are combined sewer overflows. I don't know if you know what that means, but it's one pipe. When they built these pipes, they have a, like a... A barrier in the middle of the pipe so on half of the pipe it's rainwater and on the other half is sewage and the sewage goes to the sewage treatment plant and the rainwater goes to the lake but when you get a lot of rain through the grates when it rains big rainstorms it they overflow into one another and the sewage treatment plant can't treat it so everything goes into the lake why wouldn't you have um, two pipes well that's for the last 30 years that's been the law in ontario so new subdivisions new towns any new development they do have two pipes but in the old cities, Kingston, Hamilton, Toronto, Niagara Falls, Oshawa, all these places, we still have these old combined sewer overflows, and we still haven't got around to separating them yet. You know, I can't so, be the only one thinking this, Mark, but, you know, I listen to this, and I think how short-sighted is this? If, you, if you're a developer, you stand to make a lot of money if you bought a piece of property in the city of Toronto and you're building upwards. Why mm-hmm. would that not have been built in? to uh, the rules around building upward is that you have to go down and you have to actually, or even if you don't have to go down yourself, you have to fund the sewers being changed Mm -hmm. so that we've got two pipes. I don't get it. Yeah, that would have been a great idea. I think a lot of people just assume that Torontonians go north. Torontonians go somewhere else to go swimming. Um, And we just didn't, it wasn't part of, you know, a couple generations sort of felt that the water was a blight and we just abandoned it. That's changed now. We're embracing it. Let's hope that it was just, um, you know, it was just a small blip in time and that now um, people are going to wake up, a little more lit- water literacy, and we're going to change um, the mistakes we've made in the past. But, you know, I can't speak for what happened in the past. All I can speak about now is what we're for as an organization, swimmable, drinkable, fishable water, and we know in order to have that, we have to be smart, we have to be imaginative, and we have to move forward, um, you know, Congo you know, making sure that that's our vision. We can't accept. I know you could get 100 people on the show today who would defend the status quo. I know. I meet these people all the time. I'm looking for those who are prepared to move beyond it and to fix things. Well, Mark, where can people get some information if they're, you know, you pique their interest in maybe getting involved? Yeah, 
Yeah, well, I think the one of the most important places to start is theswimguide.org. There you'll have all the beaches in Toronto, and there you'll have our sampling results for the Inner Harbour. You won't find sampling results for Toronto's harbour other than in the Swim Guide. It's also a free app on um, you know iTunes, I guess Google Play. I'm not sure how you get all that, but... Um, you know, the swim guide is really important. We monitor over 7,000 beaches in the world, but it all started here in Toronto. It started with us right in here in Toronto and on Lake Ontario. And and there you'll find also how to, um, you know, how to connect with what's called the Great Lakes Guide, which is another platform we have, which tells you how to get access, where to go hiking, where to go biking, where nice. to go camping, where to go swimming, anywhere in, on the Great Lakes in Ontario. And, you know, that's the sort of stuff I think people need to, you know, they need to get out and build their own awareness and gather their own experiences, which will help inform their decisions as they move forward. Appreciate your time as always, Mark. Um, thank and, you, Kelly. and thank you so much and good luck to you. Okay, take care.